This is a post-Christian podcast. We are the Sacred Collective. All are respected, all are heard, all are welcomed. Join us. Well, welcome to the Sacred Collective. Um, we are Zooming with our friends Maria French and Barry Taylor. You guys are all the way over the pond in England, correct? We are. Yes, we yeah, are. London. Yeah. Um, what time is it over there by, by chance? Eight o'clock. Uh, eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not too bad. Um, so thanks for joining us again. Um, you've been on our podcast a couple times, but we wanted to reach out and connect with you guys again. Um, and just maybe for people who are going to come to our podcast who haven't listened before, just explain who you guys are and what you guys are doing. What is this alleged H and co? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the alleged H and co. <laughs> it's kind of like Charlie's angels. Mm. Only I'm Charlie and Barry's. The Obviously, the angels. <laughs> who's the H and who's the co in this situation? <laughs> uh, H is a secret person. Yeah. Um, that's like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. What is it, like never... M in the James Bond movies? Yeah, it's like yeah. M. Yeah. H is, you know, so we're the co. <laughs> okay. The H, the H is the elusive yeah. somebody. Could be the big other. Probably not, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's a great question, the H and co. And I, I wish we got asked that question more. And because it's a really good way to lead into what we do, our past, our present, our future, and like how we came to be Agent Co. right now. So um, Barry and I used to be part of an organization called Hatchery LA. And when I've been on your podcast in the past, that's kind of what I was on representing what I was doing. Um, and so that organization has since ceased and kind of morphed and moved into something else, which is now Agent Co. Um, and so the H is kind of a throwback to the work that kind of started some of this thought. Um, but it's also a look at the future, um, H representing the word human, um, because when we think about faith and when we think about Christianity and spirituality, um, we believe above all, it should be human <laughs> more than anything. And the end co piece, um, again, kind of looking back at what we used to do, which was really kind of based out of LA as um, the work has grown, as the need has grown, and as um, kind of the community that we've been able to create uh, as we've been doing this innovation work has grown, we've realized that it's so much bigger than just a geographic location. It's really about a collective, a community, a company. And so that's where the end co comes from. And so um, even from like a staffing model, like Barry and I approach this as a team, as co-creators, as co-collaborators, and anybody else who works with us is in that company and so it's about the company we keep and we talk a lot about that on our website so that's a little look into the name and well wow. we there you go came to be i that. thought it was charlie's angels but apparently not <laughs> <laughs> barry's out of the loop on this one apparently yeah oh yeah i'm, I'm stuck in the end bit <laughs> so are you guys you guys are currently pretty much focusing on producing content and like almost like seminars that people can digitally uh, sign up for and interact with, right? Yeah, that and quite a bit more, actually. So um, since the inception of kind of the innovation work and the imagination work and the reconfiguration really of all things Christian as we move into the 21st century, we've really written um, a lot of curriculum, a lot of content, a lot of courses that are really looking at the holistic development of what it means to move things like Christianity into the 21st century. So we do a lot with theology and what Barry has coined and developed as innovative theology, which has been amazing. 
amazing. And he'll probably talk about that in a little bit. And we combine that with a methodology um, that we've, you know, identified out there in the world, human centered design or design thinking, which starts with the human experience when trying to problem solve and create something new. So when you combine those two things, the possibilities for reimagining church and recreating some stuff in church that isn't, is no longer working is really just sort of endless. So we kind of started there with the curriculum. And now as we've launched H and Co, we've launched various branches. Um, and so one thing we're developing right now is a theological coaching program, um, for people who have been through spiritual trauma or religious trauma. But more than that, they're finding themselves kind of in this liminal space of like stuck somewhere between like theism, traditional theism, militant atheism. They still want to claim some sort of faith, but they don't know what that looks like because they, um, they can't necessarily theologically navigate for themselves through culture, through philosophy, through their own experiences of church. And so we're developing something like that. Um, Barry has um, developed something for H and Co that um, we're basically calling experiences or contexts as it's listed on our website, which is all like location based. Obviously we can't do anything okay. like that right now, but they're on location and exotic location. So once everything back opens back up again, we have four destinations um, on the calendar at the moment. It's, Rome, yep. it's uh, Japan, it's the border work uh, uh, in Baja, California, Mexico, um, and the other one is here in London. Um, we're also um, developing a subscription model that we call campuses, where you can um, get anywhere, a subscription model anywhere from dropping a lecture once a month and discounts on everything else we do to personal one-on-one time with the people who are um, you know, teaching the lectures to um, really kind of more specific work with us. And so we have three tiers of subscription. So we've really taken it from just creating content and curriculum to really um, kind of providing for a lot of needs that we've identified over the years as we've, mm. we've done this work. Do you see yourselves doing work directly with churches and church leaders or is it is it more so just people who kind of come to you who are in an ambiguous spiritual state kind of you know looking for alternative ways to practice their spirituality i, I think i think it would be both definitely both yeah because um uh you know we 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 come into contact with a lot of people who are in some kind of either free fall or fallout yeah. or there's a lot of that going on right now there's a lot of that going on you know trying to work out what what if anything to hold on to or what that might look like yeah. so that that's that's an interest but there's also the ongoing um interest in helping people who still remain within maybe more formal frameworks interesting okay but who still are interested in rethinking reconfiguring reassessing mm. what that needs to or possibly might look like if different approaches were taken to it sure because i think you know everybody sort of works out what this all means to them in different ways yeah. and so our interest is across the spectrum mm. the spectrum of that do you think that you uh attract people who are still kind of immersed in in that more traditional church world who are almost kind of uh almost kind of sneaking off secretly to try to dip their toes into more alternative approaches. Do you think you have people who are, uh, I don't know, maybe a deacon every Sunday at their Baptist (laughs) church 
who's really curious about what you all are doing and maybe would be embarrassed or, or ashamed if the rest of their congregation found out? Or do you just have people who are just kind of free floating? Um, I think, I think it's a bit, it's a bit of both. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure that we have people that are really that far underground because I think, mm-hmm. um, they probably wouldn't be able to, uh, oh, maybe not, maybe they put not. on a fake mustache and, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. But well, that's why it's H and Co. Cause it doesn't say, you know, it sounds like they're just taking a gardening seminar. You know? <laughs> yeah. The materials are discreetly shipped to them. Yeah. In yeah. brown, in brown envelopes. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think, um, again, it, it's a, it's a broad spectrum of, of people. I, I, I can't imagine really that anybody who wants to maintain a status quo is going to find anything that we do particularly interesting because mm. our, our starting point is past there, you know, so we're yeah. sort of, okay. we're, we're, we're open, you know, and willing and desire to work with people in, in those, as I said, those formal settings that are trying to rethink it, but yeah. there's very little point in trying to work with somebody if they don't want to rethink sure, what they're sure, doing, sure. you know? So, but we've also been really pleasantly surprised. Like over the years, we've gotten, um, a lot of different people in places of influence and affluence of various denominations really around the world. Like, and that was part of the move to the ENCO because, you know, we had no idea that this thing would go international and, 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 you know, we would, get people from like all of these different countries, which we, we have. Um, but yeah, we've been really pleasantly surprised at the, the level of leadership within denominations that have been coming to us. And I think part of it is everybody sees what's happening and there's sort of a, I don't know if that I would want to call it desperation, but there's really a sense of like all bets are off and we need to try stuff that we've never tried before. So even if it's uncomfortable or even if we think it might be too progressive, quote unquote, and we don't Mm. refer to ourselves as progressive anything. I think the term progressive Christianity has a lot of baggage to it. Absolutely. We don't really, we wouldn't categorize ourselves as that. But do you know what I mean? People are willing to try stuff that they Mm. haven't tried before. That's a little bit outside of um, the norm, I think. so. Do you have anybody, anybody coming to you who is not in the Christian world at all? Yeah, we, we actually, yeah. yeah, we've had a couple of, uh, I had more than, more than a couple of, yeah. uh, Buddhists and people like that. And, and that's definitely, uh, an we've had er- Buddhists. Sorry, yeah. I just want to make yeah. sure we catch ca- Buddhists. We've had, um, Wiccan spirituality. Oh, yeah, that's right. Person come to us. And we, um, have worked with a few agnostics and atheists as well. Cool. And I, yeah. I think we're, we're poised to do a lot of the interfaith stuff, but yeah. I'll let you, you finish. Yeah. So uh, again, it, it's really open and, and we have lots of different ways, as, as Maria said, that people can connect. So it really is dependent upon where the person sort of sees themselves and, and, and what, what things might be interesting to a particular person, yeah. you know, so some of the, some of the material that we offer probably wouldn't be as interesting to somebody who's uh, in an agnostic or atheistic place right but there are other things i think that that are more kind of um broader sort of cultural explorations and things like that um Mm -hmm. but help them thinking through i actually i i would disagree slightly i think really yeah i think our material is super Hmm. yeah (laughs) i think our material is super appealing to agnostics and atheists um because most of the atheists who are weeding through any kind of christian conversation right now it's or agnostics or SBNRs or nuns and that whole group is because they left something that was ridiculous to them, but they're still trying to figure out if there is some sense of like, I can come back to 
the thought of right. this or whatever. And so if they have, if they're coming across us at all, it's because they're they're looking. Right. Um, so we're not evangelistic in any way. We're not missional in any way. We kind of come at it from the perspective of if you want to have this conversation, if you find this kind of thing helpful as a mechanism for meaning, like we're here to help you move the story forward mm-hmm. in ways that make sense. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that is attractive to people who don't claim any any sort of sure, faith at yeah. the moment. Yeah. yeah. And usually when when people cling to a ter- to a term like atheist it's in direct reference to not Christian. It's still operating right. within yeah. within the plane of, of, of theism. You know, like right. if, absolutely. You have to presume theism as a question or as a proposed possibility in order to even identify as atheist. You know, so, someone could be told someone who's who's never interacted with uh, you know Judeo Christian culture could be told, oh oh yeah, yeah, you're an atheist based on all the beliefs you're espousing, but they could have never heard that term before because they don't have that reference point of Sure. This this polar dichotomy of theism and atheism. Yeah. All atheists are Christian atheists. So. Exactly, they they really yeah. are. In order to know that vocabulary, that term atheist, you have to come from that you know that culture almost. Yeah. Can Maria say that again because I really liked it. All atheists are Christian atheists. I don't think that's my line. I'm sure Brian loves I that. that Brian loves the idea <laughs> that that all atheists just hate a version of a god that uh, they're which I can't fully disagree with. Yeah, well, I, th- I, I mean, I th- the the roots are there, uh, definitely. Um, I, I think it's it's very much essentially a Western phenomenon that's yes. born of a, a reaction against a particular. It's a reaction, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a rea- it's a reaction and, and a, a something that surfaced a, along with counter counter stories that emerged that yes. took people away from a particular understanding of things but i think within the general framework particularly in the west i i i think um you're gonna basically find that that always comes down to a concept of god that has its roots in judeo-christian thinking that people are reacting against or denying the existence thereof exactly and no matter what side you take it's the same conversation that atheists and theists are the same conversation the same dreadfully boring yes yeah. it's exhausting or it, it's been exhausted yeah. i'll say that it's been exhausted yeah yes. agreed yeah. um let's kind of pivot uh you guys have something launching may 6th yeah. um which this will drop before then so maybe both of you just kind of go into specifics uh, of what it's entitled and if people sign up to to do this what what they're going to get um, okay, so uh, our 12-week course, it's called Field Guide for the Future, Design, Theology, and Innovation. And basically, it's a 12-week course in which we take a look at three things very specifically. Um, we take a look at new cultural realities that are affecting and impacting um, Christian landscapes in the West. And a lot of times, changes are happening within Christianity most notably the decline that we see. And we don't always know why we don't always have the tools or the language to articulate why these things are happening because we're not great at keeping up on cultural trends, you know, economic realities that are emerging, you know, the progress of technology and digitality, 
Um, you know, all of these things are not happening outside of our religious life and it impacts it. And so we really give uh, a really good lay of the land and a really good state of affairs of the West at the moment and like what that all means for Christianity. We delve into like earlier what I said, what Barry has termed innovative theology. And we talk a lot about what it looks like to um, allow your social locations and your context and the needs you see arising, what it means to allow that to shape your theology and write new parables that actually really do foster spiritual transformation, but in ways that are super dynamic and that um, uh, that are, uh, I guess, I'm combining two words in my head. Limber and nimble. <laughs> <laughs> limbo. And thank you. The limbo. Yeah, limber and nimble <laughs> enough to uh, change as the needs change. Um, and Barry does such a fantastic job at that. And then um, we, the third component is also what I mentioned earlier, which is the methodology of human-centered design, which starts with human curiosity, human experience, human empathy when trying to um, create something sustainable. And so it's really a, a kind of a crash course. It's the contents packed. If you know Barry and I, you know what you're going to get when you're getting an hour with <laughs> one of us or both of us each week. And uh, we definitely are a big part of teaching it. Um, we team up with the great Victoria's Anna Sparza of In the Water Designs, and she does all the human-centered design stuff. And what we really want to do through this course is provide um, pastors, um, whether you've been in ministry for a long time or you're starting something new, um, people who are running nonprofits or faith-based organizations, or even, um, like we talked about earlier, Christians who are just kind of fumbling or people mm-hmm. who have kind of finding themselves in the middle of that atheism, theism spectrum. Um a good sort of roadmap in what it might look like to move forward in ways that are viable, like in the time that we actually live. I mean, it's interesting because one of the, one of the things that we've done uh, very pointedly since the beginning is really uh, spend a lot of time addressing issues of uh, technological and communication shifts Mm -hmm. and particularly the impact of technology upon uh religion so not not how religion uses technology but also how technology impacts the way we even think uh religiously and stuff like that and um we've really sort of um championed the 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 notion of both taking technology seriously and incorporating technology um into one's perspective even when you're thinking theologically and and here we are in the middle of a um a lockdown and what you what you've seen really um is a whole bunch of people desperately scrambling to make sense of uh for uh, of forms of technology that they kind of utilized in in largely token ways most people and suddenly realizing that uh the the shape of their uh, communal life and, and experience is now dependent upon something that's been there for a very long time, but for many people was considered like a sort of, you know. Sorry, I need to pause this for a minute. Um, I did not press record on Zoom, just on my phone. Is that a problem? Oh, that, if, yeah. if your phone's recording, that's fine. The, f- the phone is not recording you guys. It's just recording us. No, all I need is, <laughs> is recording you. That's all I need. I'm recording the Zoom conversation. 
Oh, you are? I thought I was supposed to record it. No, no. I just need you recording you and you're in Barry's side of it. And then I'm going to layer it all in. Oh, God. Okay, great. I was so nervous. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. I didn't want to say <laughs> I was like, I was like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, and I totally interrupted you mid thought, but I was like, I'm sweating. Oh my god, I missed all. <laughs> Take two from the top. Hey, Barry and Maria, how's it going? <laughs> my god. <laughs> now you're like, gonna have to edit were... <laughs> this or leave it. I should leave it. You should leave it in there because I think that actually points to. Okay. <laughs> okay. So if he leaves it, where were you? So where were you? Uh, so so I was I was saying that that um. You know, you have, have people who, who've treated technology as, as sort of an optional thing that, you know, we might get around to thinking about this or it's really nice to send out information and, and, and stuff too. But we've kind of taken this thing, particularly in, in this major course that we teach that, um, technology has always been a key factor in religious community involvement and, and engagement and, um, in a time like this, you have the, the purest example of, of why cultural issues and technological shifts are a significant part of any theological conversation because, uh, you never know what's coming, even though, uh, we sometimes think that the Bible tells us everything that's going to happen. Mm. Um, but, um, we don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, it's best to be sort of prepared and, and, and versed in as broad a way mm. as we can. So part of, part of our conversation, we do a lot of stuff around technology and economics uh-huh. again, which is another issue that, that's sort of on the, on the table right now. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, so the course kind of brings together, um, the cultural environments in which we find ourselves, um, the theological component. Uh, we, we call it innovative theology because we're essentially, um, we have no theological axe to grind. We're very well aware that people are going to come with a broad spectrum of theological positions and ideologies and ideas. And it's not our intention to tell people what to think about that. We have our own particular perspectives, which will obviously salt and flavor the, the directions that we take. But really, it's more a way of um, helping people discover ways to do theological reflection and practice um, in the very real situations and circumstances they live in, moving away from kind of the tendency towards abstract ideas that that shape so much of Christian theological conversation, you know, the, the sort of let's posture about this or that and talk about large things that... Um, are not necessarily uninteresting, but aren't vital. And we're sort of thinking about how and in what ways we can help people to be kind of innovative and limber and nimble, <laughs> <laughs> flexible and fluid in, head, like in, in, in their <laughs> theological uh, reflection and uh, to throw uh, and to sort of see theology, not just as, as a, um, uh, getting a bunch of abstract ideas about the Bible, but really having an ongoing conversation with what it means to be human um, and, and and factoring in um, theological tradition into the middle of all of that. And then we wrap it up with um, design thinking, which is very much a, a, a practice and a process that's uh, predicated upon um, people 
Mm-hmm. So it's, it's why it's called human centered design. Mm-hmm. It's really built around empathy and awareness of, mm-hmm. um, who we're talking to, what their needs are and how those needs might be addressed. So that, that's kind of the, the breakdown of, uh, what, what we do in that, okay. in that course, Brian. I find it easy to wrap my head around, you know, um, applying technology to really pragmatic things. You know, just like uh, communication in in the church, you know, or sure. or um, you know, spreading information and and stuff like that. But how how would you apply technology to more lofty theological ideas? Is is it just how technology is going to trickle down into how we go about our lives and how we even you know think about communicating with each other and 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 things like that? Like, how do you specifically apply technology to the more abstract theology? I think I think it's that. But to, to use the word that you've used, lofty, um, I, I think the idea of loftiness actually changes with technological shifts. Um, because while technologies are uh, amoral, if you like, um, and they have no agenda, um, they do have impact upon uh, our self-understanding. You know, Marshall McLuhan said, the, the cultural theorist, um, talked about... Um, technologies as brain frames and said that every time you adopt a new technology you experience a significant shift in the way you perceive the world around you and whenever that happens um it's like a domino effect on everything else it affects the way we see other people um and it affects the way we think about things like the sacred or the divine or god so when what so when you like find yourself in the digital world, you actually find yourself in a world where there are other conversations about the nature of the sacred that go on. And uh, the ideas that come from a different uh, era uh, tend not to resonate as much. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of history that backs that up just in the history of, of the way ideas about God shift and change throughout time. Mm-hmm. So that'd be my quick answer to that, which wasn't very quick. <laughs> Limble. Limble. It's the word for today. Limble. <laughs> it's it's like purgatory limbo and limbo. Yes. <laughs> I'll say I'll say one other thing about technology too that we don't only apply to technology, but we apply to everything um, about this course across the board, and and just in general, a, a basic philosophy, a basic philosophical approach. Um, uh, that we come to the table with, but part of it too, is about thinking through the ethics of some of it. Um, so Barry and I kind of, uh, split that teaching session. He does half and I do the other. And I focus on some technological case studies where we've seen technology go where maybe we never imagined it would go before. And as Christians and as people who like to sort of live under principles, guiding principles that we don't believe change much, it's really hard for us to embrace some new stuff. Um, and it's hard to embrace what seems unhuman or anti-human or um, anti-soul or um, things that at first glance seem negative or bad or immoral, even though, like Barry said, technology is really amoral. And we take some time to like really think through some of it and think through, okay, well, this is why we think we need to wage war right away on something like this. But what if we looked at it from this perspective and this perspective? And I would say at H&Co, we're all about asking the questions 
um, that not a lot of people are asking. And I know it's super trendy and it has been for like quite a few years now to be like, oh, it's about asking questions, not finding the answers. Yeah, that's fine. But I have been really fairly unimpressed with people's questions. And so we try and take those questions to like a deeper level. Yeah. And also where that's where human design comes in design thinking because it's not just asking questions it's asking the right questions yeah you know and and that's and i think that's why an awareness of culture is important so for us like the question for the central question for technology is not what are we doing with technology but who are we becoming with Mm -hmm. technology Mm -hmm. and so the, the, if you sort of look at the broad base conversation about technology within the horizon of Christianity, and I realize that's a very broad brush, but I'll just use it for a minute. The general question is about the ethics and the morality of what we do with mm-hmm. technology. Yeah. Very little consideration is given to the impact of technology upon being the ontological question of technology. Mm. And, uh, that, so we start there because we're into, the impact of all of this upon the self, upon the human being, yeah. upon the, the person yeah, okay. and upon the community of persons uh, who gather together in the name of God or in the name of whatever mm. um, to try and work out um, how to live uh, a rich and engaged mm. life with themselves and with each other. Mm. It's actually one of our funnest weeks out of the twelve. I like it. <laughs> does does part of your general process include taking an established theology or philosophy and then saying, okay, now how do we apply this or how does this look when dropped into a modern wor- world with modern new technologies? Or are you just kind of taking a blank slate and saying, what can we observe given our current circumstances? Well, I, th- I think w- what we try and do, because we, we tend to have a fairly broad spectrum of theological positions in any given group of people that take take the course and and i did this when i was teaching a a theological seminary uh, uh, as well is i i think it's that the the real responsibility uh, of any kind of uh educator or or on any level whether you're teaching a class or giving a lecture or, or preaching a sermon is giving people the tools and the space to think for themselves and to sort of understand uh, that they actually can have their own thoughts and their own ideas about all of, about all of this. And so um, I've always sort of urged people not to like abandon, like uh, just jump off a cliff and abandon everything and start to build from scratch. But to start where they are, um, with whatever their construct is, and then let the situations of life interrogate that. Cause that's what happens anyway. When people have a, what, you know, what you might call a crisis of faith or a loss of faith or something, what usually happens is life comes along and beats their belief system over the head with a club. Mm. And they suddenly realize that this thing they've been holding onto is actually, um, devoid of the ability to adequately address the circumstance that's emerged. Yes. And what usually happens is, uh, you're, you're told quite often that it was either the devil that got you, depending on your theological construct, your loss, your lack of faith in, in other environments Mm. or in the progressive world. Now it's, Oh, 
you know, make room for doubt. You know, well, there's always been doubt in the church. It's just been handled different ways. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? What, what I think what I, what I would say is that you have to let those moments interrogate and, and question your, um, belief system okay. or your, what you, what you think about a given circumstance mm-hmm. and then address it accordingly. Okay. Sounds like a very organic approach. Uh, I'd like to think so. Yeah. I mean, we all, we all, we all float in a sea of ideological constructs. So, you know, we're always wrestling around with the ideas sure. that, that we think are really important. But, but life has a way of sort of exposing them for what they are, which is very fragile ways that we make it through the week. Mm. And sometimes you have to change what gets you through the week so that you can actually get through the week. Mm. And I think that for a lot of people, um, in the late 20th and early 20, 21st century, as I've sort of transitioned through that myself and seen so many people kind of come to faith, lose faith, try and find faith again, try and work out what it all means and, 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 and all believe, um, you, you kind of have to, um, just let those things, uh, rise to the surface mm-hmm. and, and learn how to learn that, that it's not, um, a set of, ideological beliefs that is not what it means to believe sure to believe is to is is that's the furthest thing away from real belief is to go well i believe this where chances are you actually don't you just saying that as a compensation (laughs) i actually don't even think the category of belief yeah we don't really talk about belief and believing too much the word belief almost every day i'm in a conversation with someone where i have to say we don't use the word belief yeah. It's too binary. It's I like, agree. do you believe or you don't believe? And actually, we're not even about proposing empirical realities or objective realities yes. of agency and God or whatever. That's your own personal business in terms of what you want to believe, quote unquote, about mm-hmm. those things. Like we're all about theological realities and like the transformation that that could bring. And so belief doesn't even come into it Great. for us. Yeah. yeah. We also use, we also use the word bilimbal. Bilimbal. <laughs> 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 you guys are going to need uh, your own dictionary by the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right, Fred. That's great. So it sounds like you're not necessarily trying to. Uh, you're, you're. It sounds to me like you're kind of facilitating a space for people to be encouraged to explore things um, that they're encountering, and that maybe you might be uh, proposing for them to consider more so than than prescribing. Uh, you know, um, a, a way to handle the things that, that they're being presented with. It sounds like you're not saying, okay, well, you know, here's here's an approach that is appropriate and that will handle the existential angst that you're experiencing. It's more. It sounds sounds more like you're kind of creating a, a space where people can explore yeah. their thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's for us. We talk a lot about complexity. Mm. And, you know, we, we borrow some of the ideas from, uh, Mark Taylor's book, The Moment of Complexity. And it's, it's just this sense of there isn't anything sure. Sure. And the, the, um, running after certainty is a fool's errand. Like things are too complex for that. Things are too gray for that. Um, and so rather than making certainty the goal, um, what does it look like to live in the middle of this complexity as a person of faith? with an ethic 
you know, with a thoughtfulness, with our own sense of faithfulness that we've developed and not just like hoping that it's right or that it works, but something that we've actually investigated, agitated, you know, irritated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Decentering kind of. Yeah. Decentering to use, I guess, you know, Peter Rollins language. Yeah. (laughs) What you took from me. What you took from (laughs) 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 I'm just kidding. We share that. We share that. It didn't (laughs) take. Um, well, yeah, and I think, well, I, I, I think also in addition to that, I, I, I think that spaces get made and spaces have to be made. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and personally, I, I think that the, the, the real art is to create spaces, atmospheres, environments, ambiences where, uh, there is opportunity for people to discover for themselves yes. the the best steps to take. Uh-huh. That doesn't mean that we don't have ideas. We've you know we've got lots of experience uh, uh-huh. uh, in church planting and church building and sure. and all those kind of things. So it's not like we don't have ideas about things. But right. we're not going. Oh, here's the model to slap on. You know, and this is how you do it in five easy steps. Uh-huh. What what we're we're sort of saying is here's how you can handle in some ways the complexity and the randomness. Mm. Um, and not even handle, live in those mm. with a fluidity and, yeah. uh, an embrace of, uh, uh, of that. And here's how mm. you can discover for yourself and your community, if it's, if that's what you're doing, um, pathways in, in that, in that environment. That's so, beautiful. yeah, I, I think that's really, I, I and I really, th- personally for me, that's, I think that's what Jesus did. I think if you sort of look at the encounters, particularly that uh, Christ had with his religious contemporaries, you know, particularly his detractors, the Pharisees, the Sadducees and stuff like that, the challenge was always about the inhibition of the spaces that they allowed people to live in. Mm. And he constantly pushed back those boundaries and made room for people who were excluded to experience things that they were technically supposedly um not allowed to participate in and and, I, and I, for me I, I i see that the story of of you like uh, of, of a form of christianity as an opening up of a particular kind of space that um also uh you also then have to work out what the space is that's been opened up within culture for religious expression as well, because I think there's always a link. And that doesn't mean that you always capitulate to, um, cultural norms, but, I, but I do think there are interests and dynamics that emerge at particular times. And those are the things that you can, uh, address as well. That's beautiful. Blah, blah, blah. Very eloquent. Well put. You'll find he always is. <laughs> yeah. Except when I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, um, just logistically speaking, I'm I'm curious uh, how how does it look to plan these these events or what, what, would, what would you call them seminars events? Uh, a course, this courses. the twelve course is definitely a cohort. It's a course. Uh-huh. Yeah, we've done it for quite a few years now. We do it a little mm-hmm. bit differently every time. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool how quickly you all turned around after you know COVID kind of started becoming. We started settling into the fact that uh, wasn't going to resolve itself anytime soon. How quickly you all turned around with, with the um, the solitude. 
study. Yeah, well, you know, we're claiming to be innovative and we're claiming to be, you know, in really rich and robust dialogue with culture. So <laughs> yeah, if something like this is hitting the world, you know, we better um, mm -hmm. be offering something something up for it. So yeah, um, Solitude was Barry's brainchild and it's been really cool to do that every week. And then we have three Instagram lives each week on different topics of the pandemic. And it's been, that's been very cool too. And they've been well attended. So yeah, um, we're hoping to always do that. Always I mean, there's always stuff to talk like about, that. basically. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And there's, all, you know, and so we're trying to be, we're trying to address, we're trying to address very prescient cultural moments. Yes. And then ongoing conversations that, that are broader and probably more long, long term and long, long running. So field notes for the future. It's not right. about any particular future. It's about the future that is now. Mm. And, uh, what, whatever that future is now, six months from now, that conversation will still be going on, but it'll be a slightly different conversation. Sure. But so, so we have those kind of courses and then we have the more occasional ones and we're building a kind of stockpile of, um, and very broad and we're, we're sort of, um, I think offering up and, and also w because our, our central thing is about the human and the human condition. Uh, we, we think that a theological conversation can take place in any environment on any topic. Yeah. That's not to say, you know, everything is spiritual because I don't think everything is spiritual necessarily, yeah. but I do think everything is theological and, uh, in, in, in that there's a, a theological dimension because it's yeah, about what it sure. means to be human and how you interact and understand. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's in, in, in some ways what a theological conversation is. It's not just a conversation about God anymore. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Even though if you pass out the word, you know, you're going to get the purists that will argue against that. But Sure, sure, sure. Do you see um, theology as being a subset of philosophy or is it just a, a, a different uh, hat that philosophy wears? Um, well, you know, they used to, they used to be quite a lot closer than I they know, are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I, and I think one of the, one of the more interesting things, and, and, and I think, you know, people like um, Jack Caputo and, uh, and Pete yeah. and uh, a few, you know, more than a few other people whose names escape me at the moment ha have really, um, done well is to bring bring those things back together in yeah. in, in dialogue I, I mean i think um there are a, a number of people and i think it's also part of the fact that uh increasingly in in our complex interconnected world mm. more and more people realize that whatever a theological conversation is it's sociological it's, it's political it's interdisciplinary it's so you know yeah. it's anthropological it's it's all of those things so um i think i i, I think the theology and philosophy are great bedmates absolutely yeah and they should have sex more often yeah <laughs> they should get a little freaky <laughs> well you know <laughs> yeah no missionary no none allowed <laughs> that's the only constraint we're gonna lose people about this point in the podcast <laughs> oh it's actually <laughs> that's actually that's a great idea for a class i'll credit that that when we yeah, launch it uh, we will. we're yeah. working on a class called um the five most fucked up relationships in the bible at the moment so that's about as close as we're getting to sex you should have a class called tantric theology 
I'm loving these ideas. Yeah, yeah, writing yeah. this down. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. I'm into it. I was trying to. Th- I was trying to quickly think of something to go along with Kama Sutra. <laughs> Kama Hallelujah. Hey, I have a question for you too. Yeah. yeah. Where do you find the time to to do all those amazing uh, Instagram pictures? You all have. Uh, oh, I, I can. I'm like, yeah. oh, Barry, Barry and Maria must be out on a walk or something. You got these amazing yeah, yeah. outfits in the woods, <laughs> or like posing in front of some cool graffiti or something, <laughs> just looking cool, looking off in these really, really cool outfits. What's going on there? Is that is that like a daily thing? You set aside a few hours and you go out and do a photo we shoot. We actually we're we're out for about an hour, an hour and a half at most every day. You know, as we said in the beginning, we're in the UK, yeah. and so we're allowed to go out for a once daily walk. We don't always go out every day, or he goes out most days. I I don't go out every day but um yeah i know we we he's in and he's a fashionista that's just more the way of saying it he's incredibly high fashion and um so he's got this amazing wardrobe and i i love clothes and fashion as well and i have a lot of fun with it and um so yeah we we're Um, not going anywhere but that's no excuse to like dress like a schlep i don't think yeah we have a war against sweatpants over here (laughs) i mean we're saying no to athleisure wear yeah the third time the third time today, I'm going to say, Karl Lagerfeld said, "Yeah, the on. sign of defeat is yeah. wearing sweatpants." So, so yeah. yeah, no, we we and this is on my personal feed. We don't put this on the H and Co feed, but we go out every day and we do like these these fashion videos. We call them fashion breakdowns, and we talk about what he's wearing, what I'm wearing, and then we we yeah. take some photos. And let's just discuss one thing though. Hmm. Um, I have not actually done any selfies. I think ever he on Instagram and I hate having my picture taken it. and it's only under it. duress. Really? That, uh, yeah. So this seems to be a frequently happening traumatic event for you then. Cause they're all over the place. Yeah. It's yeah, a, it's a day better. And you it's know why? Daily he's trauma. getting like a hundred likes on all of his. It's a daily fashion. trauma for me, Caleb. Yeah. You two, neither, neither of you ever have selfies. It's always someone else taking the picture. I always assume it's the other one of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's yeah i don't know what you call that it's i not like to imagine also I, I every time i was like i like to imagine the conversation no no why don't you try standing you know a little bit over to, oh there, <laughs> there you go that's good well the difference is i don't give a shit <laughs> and, that's not true because well, i take a bunch and he's like oh i don't well, like any of these we'll, go well yeah this okay but i get very firm and strict instructions and i must say that i usually fail at that execution he fails a lot oh. i get you know so i'm under duress and i get a lot of rebuking okay. caleb you're the victim here yeah. bud i know mate. it's it's, <laughs> uh, it's 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 oppressive here in london right now i don't oh, know how man. i'm gonna survive this might end up being uh, evidence in court or something this is yeah, yeah. but it looks like it takes a lot more time than it actually does yeah. usually now it's so long it's a five sure. minute thing yeah gotcha 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 i was just curious picking on you <laughs> we can handle it. <laughs> um, totally unrelated to what we're um, saying. Um, I follow both of you guys on Instagram and, uh, you know, fashion sense as well. But I'm curious, putting you on the spot, so put your thinking caps on, uh, what are like some of the five most influential books that you've read that have kind of shamed or shamed, shaped uh <laughs> This is our blooper reel. It's a Freudian slip. I like it. <laughs> you know, Brian, I can cut out flubs, but then when you call attention to them, it makes it an awful lot harder to cut them out. <laughs> That's fine. Don't 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 edit it. It's cool. Uh, shaped what? Well, just I don't know. That's just have shaped your thinking, or you know, I know you guys read a ton, but what are some of the books that it's gonna be a you're like? List. If you could, re- yeah, if you could recommend like 
hey, th- this book is phenomenal. It will change your life. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we both uh, got like big, big lists there. Uh, okay. The book that politicized me was a book called The Ragged Trousered Philanthropist by Robert Tressel. It's a novel. Um, the book that decon- began the deconstruction of my theology was Walter Brueggemann's Finally Comes the Poet. Okay. Uh, a book that undid me was uh, Peter Beard's uh, book, The End of the Game. Gosh, there's so many. Uh, the entire... Come on, six, something by Nick Cave. The, the, the entire six volumes of Carl Ovi Nausgaard's My Struggle. Um, Nobody's going to read that. Yes, well, and <laughs> and that's what's wrong with the world. The abridged version, maybe. That, that, that's what's wrong with the world. And uh, the last book would be what... I'm just going to pick one off my shelf. Yeah, we've got so many. Here. Hey, say, that'd be a fun game. Pick a book at random. Close your eyes, yeah. grab a book. Madonna's sex book. Yeah, Madonna's sex book. Okay. There you go. Is that illustrated? It's, it's, it's only illustrated. Her book that came out in the 90s, it was like all the rage and all the scandal. I was too much of a good boy back then. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it would be like nothing to come out today, but back in the day, it was really. Oh, yeah. It came wrapped in silver foil. Ooh. Oh, you want to see it? Yeah. No, well, the, the viewers can't. I can see get a it. screenshot oh. of it. Hold it up. I'll get a screenshot. Gonna find it now. How about for you? Like, what are yeah. some of the five books that I don't know have really influenced you? Whether you know deconstruction, reformulating, just the ways you thought about things. Yeah, I, I am happy to share those books. Oh, oh here, here we go. Here, here you go. This is what he wanted to show you. We'll take better photos and send them to you later. Very good. Do you want to stick this back in yours? So yes. We can continue on with this. Yes. Sorry. What are your five books? Um, So I would say, theologically, I have a few. Um, I would say, I don't want to be boring, but I think um, Thomas Altizer's The Death of God is a really good place to start in terms of deconstruction, even though it was like back in the 60s. It's it's, it's the start of radical theology and um, some post-theistic thought. Um, more recently, I know Barry mentioned John Caputo. I would say The Folly of God and the Weakness oh, of God yeah. by John Caputo. Um, I'm a big fan of Jeffrey Robbins. And if he's listening to this at all, um, would love for him to publish more. But his book, Radical Theology, A Vision for Change, um, I've loved. Um, I'd say one of like like a landmark book for me that was huge, um, After God by Mark C. Taylor. Um, wow, you went fully Julia, theological. I, well, Julia Kristeva. <laughs> um, what's that book that she that she's written that we love that I can't? Oh, remember. the Incredible Need to Believe. The Incredible Need to Believe by Julia Kristeva, and a book that I read recently um, that actually Caleb and Brian are familiar with because they were at a talk where I referenced it heavily um, that I gave a couple months ago in Minneapolis. Um, Fucking Law by Victoria Brooks, and it's about it's about going beyond sexual ethics. Um, and she does it from like a place that, you know, being a part of the, the queer community. Um, but it's, it's so fabulous. It's so well written. And the whole basis of it is that, um, 
well, I won't go into the whole base of it because that's not what this podcast is about, but I would say, I would say pick, pick that up. It's, it's a quick read. It's not a, a long book at all. And I think it, it's some very good food for thought. Nice. It doesn't matter where you are at on the sexual spectrum to read that book. Wow. Those are good. Those are good books. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Go. Good list, but we always we always have long lists of books that we can. Yeah, I, I'm people. bad with I'm bad with lists. Um, but some simple things we would say: if you're not if you don't know who Nick Cave is, figure out who he is, and then subscribe <laughs> to the Red Hand Files. Yeah, that's a, that's the only reading you need to do that's in the, the pandemic. That's the only reading you need to do right now. <laughs> Seriously, not true. not that's everybody loves to read books, and I don't love reading books. It's just part of what we need to what? do to survive. I just told that I never really finish a book. I skim a lot of stuff. He's, uh, he asked me the other day, he's like, how many books of mine have you read? I'm like, I've skimmed them all. <laughs> but, uh, Oh, Barry has an incredible book that just came out last year called the aesthetics of atheism. And by atheism, he means atheism. So we recommend that. It's oh, yeah, also yeah, quick read. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, but no, if you subscribe <laughs> to Nick Cave's The Red Hand Files, it's so amazing. He's a philosopher. He's a theologian. He's a, <laughs> he might cultural be our best theorist. He's living a theologian. Yeah. If, if there was like one thing I could only read for the rest of my life, it would be his emails, his red hand files. So I'd read his wife's. Does she put Susie. them on? Anyway. Awesome. Great recommendations. I agree. I agree. You passed. Yeah. And then, of course, the National Enquirer every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For the, for yeah, the truth. There you go. That's right. For the truth. But yeah, we, we would love um, for anybody who's got the time and the space to join us in our course that's kicking off May 6th. Um, we were going, it was supposed to kick off. We do the course three times a year and it was supposed to kick off in March, but we had to really put it all on hold because of COVID and everything that's happening. But, Mm. you know, everyone's finding their stride now in the isolation and the pandemic and people are ready to kind of continue on in sort of some stuff that they were doing. So yeah, May 6th, uh, 12 weeks, we do a live lecture every week for an hour. If you cannot jump on live and lots of people can't, we usually only have about a third of the cohort jump on live each week. Um, it's, it's, Post it on the learning platform each week and you can watch it, you know, anytime you want. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun. You're going to get a lot from us. You're going to certainly, I think, get a bang for your buck. We're both super passionate about giving people a lot of content, um, and resourcing them with the absolute best that we can. So yeah, we'd love as many people as want to join. Um, you can go on the website too. If you have some questions, we obviously, talk a lot more about this on the website and the various pages we have devoted to the course but there's also a place you can click to grab 15 minutes live with barry and i if you have some questions or if you want to talk to us that's yeah. awesome and it's h and co you know obviously you can't put an ampersand so it's h a n d c o actually the website well yeah that's that's the name of what we do but the website is um h and co group.com oh that's right i've been okay gotcha. yeah because mm-hmm. we have a band as well. <laughs> <laughs> or that's H and the codes. Oh, yeah. when we were looking at URLs. Yeah. H and co group.com. Very cool. And uh, Instagram, you want to plug that? Is, isn't there an underscore in there? Yeah, there's two. <laughs> <laughs> just search just search H and co. I'm sure it'll pop up. Yeah, there's yeah. actually a few a few organizations out there going by H and Co. But yeah, our handle is yeah. Can you believe it? How, How dare they? How dare um, they? H H yeah, totally H underscore and Co underscore. So, but if you go to our website, you can link to our social media platforms. We do a lot on them. So very good. It's our main vehicle for communication, actually. Very 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 good. Yeah. Any closing thoughts? Last words? 
Limbo. Wash your hands. <laughs> limbo. limbo. Be limbo and wash your hands. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Be limbo. Be limbo. And, and wash your hands. Yeah. <laughs> and wear good fashion. Yeah. Yeah. And be and nice. Documented. <laughs> and and read Nick Cave because he's and, the world's best. Oh theologian. my God, read Nick Cave. And do not inject Lysol. Yeah, ah, right. Not go there. Don't do that. But why not? He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. No. <laughs> How about this for a closing thought? Would you rather uh, be able to fly, like kind of propel yourself flying every time you fart? <laughs> Or every time, no matter even if you're trying to sneak a fart, you get a little boop, you levitate a little bit. <laughs> or um, be able to swim really fast, have you know webbed feet, but you can never wear shoes. Oh, that's tough. Oh, uh, then I got to go with flying because I love shoes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No more shoe so feet for you. Yeah, no more shoe feet if I got webbed feet. Oh. Webbies, webbies. <laughs> <laughs> Find my webs on the I web. I have to choose flying, but I'm very attracted to the swimming web feet situation. Well, I'm attracted to it. would save me a know, ton in plane tickets if yeah. I could just like zoom across the ocean. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So final answers, guys. Come on. I already gave mine. Well. You know, I'm going to go with web feet for the hell of it. Okay. I'd make a shoe. Oh, you'd make a shoe? <laughs> <laughs> I'd head over to Italy and see what the cobblers could muster. Well, I'm going to fly. I'll be able to fly and yeah, buy you some. Can, you can fly <laughs> <me over. laughs> well, you got to save up your farts, though, Barry. You, you can't get too far, you know? It, well, you got to propel actually. yourself. Uh, oh, I didn't Otherwise, know. Otherwise, we're going down. Oh, there was a limit on how far you can go? Well, it's you're <laughs> propelled by the size of the fart. I oh, see. This is the problem with these questions. All of a sudden, you realize there's a whole backstory. Well, that's why you got to like, ask thought, for like, specificity. Yeah, you got to ask these questions. Well, I, I know all the answers. You got to ask me about it. I'm telling you. Uh, I see. I don't believe in that. Well, as much as I love talking about farting. Oh, yeah. It's like your favorite thing. (laughs) Not. Well, thanks for y'all's time. Yes. Thank you, guys. As always. Absolutely. Yeah. We got to fly. I mean, leave. (laughs) Fly and swim. (laughs) It's been so great, you guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you all. Stay safe. Yep. You too. Bye. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at SacredMN.
If you like that, you might enjoy the Loosen the Bible Belt podcast with Jay Baker and me, Kristen Becker. I know from having two partners who passed away that people love to text a dead person's cell phone. This is a thing. Have any of any of the three of y'all ever texted wow. a dead person's cell phone? No. No, because no. you, you understand they're not looking at it, right? I don't know. It's Right. I've listened to their voicemail before, but never texted them. Right, because voicemail, you, you're listening to the outgoing message so you can hear their voice, right? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, but like both my partners who passed away, I mean, hundreds of text messages. And they weren't meant for me, so I just turned the phone off because I'm like, I'm not supposed to look at this, you know? I mean, I definitely shouldn't reply. That would be terrible. So I started getting, I got like three of those messages, three or four. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was like, all right, so people think I'm dead. So I have to go on social media. So I think what happened is because I wasn't on social media and there was like a little bit of a rumor mill, like people just, I guess, assume that I died. I guess they assumed. I don't know. Nobody will admit that they thought that. Like when I posted, hey, I'm not dead. (laughs) Nobody was like, oh, yeah, I heard. Everyone's like, oh, I didn't hear that rumor. Nobody's ever going to tell me they thought I was dead. But also, anyone could have checked it with anyone. My girlfriend, my two roommates in the queer community, like literally anyone you could have checked it with. That's like that social necrophilia. People love a dead person, you know? (laughs) It does keep them occupied for a few hours online. (laughs) That was a post-Christian podcast.